With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. It's Wednesday, it's Football Social Daily and it's match day for England. Poland, the opponents tonight for Gareth Southgate's side. The three lines in cruise control in their World Cup qualification group, but tonight will surely be the toughest test of the three games so far. The lethal Lewandowski back for the polls this evening too. We'll look ahead to that game in Warsaw, as well as the news that Jesse Lingard has rejected a new Manchester United deal. We ask, what was the point, Jesse, when you could have moved clubs this summer? Plus, some positive news for fans as UEFA lift their ban on travelling away supporters in European competitions, but there are still hoops to jump through for British clubs. All that to come with me, Niall McCorn, in the company of Ian Brannan. Good morning, Ian. Hi, good morning. Um, great to be here. Um, I'm just going to flag this up from the start. <laughs> I've got my studio doors open because it's three billion degrees even in Sunderland, so goodness knows how hot it must be elsewhere in the country. Um, so if you do hear the occasional passing car or a seagull or <laughs> an angry bin man, then that's probably what it is. Well, actually, the last time we had a heat wave, you were also on the podcast, but you had that weird mist cloud over your house and your temperature yes. inside your house was about 10 degrees cooler than everywhere else. Yeah, well, that's what it's, it, it is always 10 degrees cooler, even though we've got no <laughs> mist cloud today. That's the, that's the exciting thing. So, you know, 22 degrees in Sunderland is like, must be about 40 degrees everywhere else. So, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's sweltering here. But um, in, being in a box for, for an hour or so with, with the doors shut tight, um, yeah, you know, it could be a bit restrictive. So Doesn't we need to sound like your idea of fun, <laughs> but we're going to press <laughs> on anyway. Anytime the needle touches 20 here in Manchester, it is classed as tropical, I would say. Uh, also <laughs> with us, Joel Tudor from the Sports Social Team. How are you doing, Joel? Oh, good. Good morning. Good morning. You've gone with a jumper today. I was a bit surprised when I wandered <laughs> into the office oh, listen, and you had the jumper on. Hear me out on this one. I had to, I've done it very strategic because I know that the office is quite a subdued temperature <laughs> and also Manchester has a bit of a 
tendency to change weather it does within about five minutes so you know got to come prepared as a mancunian <laughs> it is cool we do have air conditioning in the office by the way so that's that's a, yeah, an just excuse. so everyone doesn't think i'm a strange guy <laughs> well we'll find out uh, in a throughout the course of the podcast whether joel truly is strange or not no i'm joking we're going to start by talking about poland against england england's final game of the international break takes place this evening and in the two games they've had before now, two 4 0 wins for Gareth Southgate's side against Hungary first up and then Andorra at the weekend. I mean, do you expect a similar scoreline versus Poland, Ian, or are they a far tougher opponent? You'd like to suggest that Poland will probably give England a much more rigorous test than Hungary and Andorra did. Yeah, Poland are really the, you know, it is the big match in this group, isn't it? Um, it's the only sort of serious match with the best will in the world. Having seen what's happened to Hungary, I mean, the rest, you know, Andorra, they're not really, you know, we've played a second team against Andorra in, in effect. Um, full strength side expected tonight um, from Gareth Southgate, the, the same sort of lineup that uh, was fielded in the Euros. Um, definitely going to be taken a lot more seriously. And. Um, you know, they, they have got a big threat. And I've been speaking to um, a friend of mine because, you know, I do uh, the Speedway podcast and uh, the the uh, sport of Speedway is the second biggest sport behind football in Poland. It's it's absolutely massive. Yeah. So um, I've been speaking to a, a Polish sports journalist just this morning um, and just replying now, actually, uh, to a couple of questions. I asked him about the Polish team to give us a bit of a perspective on how this match is seen in Poland, because obviously that's where it's happening. It's a big event. And um, he says that... Um, you know, well, I'll give you his reply. He says that um, the, the England match is something special for Poland, the team and the fans, and they still go back to 1973 at Wembley when their goalkeeper, Jan Tomaszewski, saved every strike and it finished nil-nil. Uh, maybe it's a more important match than Poland versus Germany for them. It wow. is the game, Poland versus England. Um, Sousa is building an atmosphere. It's mm. a chance to win a group. Wasn't a bad match uh, when they played at Wembley. The fans are believing that they can get a win. And um, he's also given us a few tips about players to watch out for. I know we're going to talk more about Lewandowski in a, in a mo, but um, I will uh, uh, we'll come to that soon. So just to give a bit of perspective, really, you know, this is the match of all matches, not just in this group, but Poland versus England. They love it over there, so they're going to be proper fired up for this. So, yeah, it's it's got that riding on it too. You know, regardless of the teams on paper, for Poland, this is their game. This is their, you know, I suppose you know, for us it's England versus Germany, isn't it? But for them it's Poland versus England. So uh, they're, uh, they're fired up for it for sure. Yeah, really interesting insight that actually, to, to consider that game for them bigger to face England than it is to face Germany. I think that's quite something. And mm. actually, you know, England, we joke about how, you know, we've had however many years of hurt as the Three Lions song goes. And, you know, we reached the final of the Euros and semi-finals in 1990 of the World Cup, the semi-finals in 2018. And it's, oh, you know, woe is England. We never win anything. But actually, despite the fact that we've kind of fallen short in the international scene in tournaments for however many years, England is still seen as a as a big side, a big international team. Yeah. But other countries love to come and play. Um, that probably would have been the case with the Andorans as well last time out, Joel. But Gareth Southgate knows that they're not quite as tough as an opposition as Poland are. He made 11 changes for that Andorra game. Patrick Bamford was one of them. Do you think he'll keep his place against Poland or are we likely to see Harry Kane just come straight back in? I'm trying to still suss out Gareth Southgate's kind of philosophy when it comes to choosing his players because as we saw I think it was a bit of a running joke where Grealish suddenly started as soon as he got his um, big money move to Manchester City <laughs> not to say that City are one of the big clubs <laughs> um, 
But no, I think with Bamford, he's got the very, very difficult task of replacing an England captain who's, you know, guaranteed goals up front. With Bamford, obviously, his Leeds form was impressive last season, but it's going to be, it's going to take an absolutely monstrous effort or a, a vital injury to Harry Kane to actually allow him to sneak into the side. And even still then, I feel like the, the options of Calvert-Lewin would probably be a, a far more suitable uh, replacement for the actual England side, especially with how they play. But it would be interesting to see how Bamford does uh, settle into the England side. But I feel as though it's Southgate giving him the opportunity to actually experience the England team and settle. But I don't see, I don't think that Southgate sees him as an integral part of the squad uh, leading up to Qatar 2022. Yeah, I think that's an interesting debate, one we've had on the podcast before, Ian, about Patrick Bamford and where he possibly slots into the England setup. We know he deserved his call up, if not for what he did last season, rather than the three games he's had this campaign, which obviously isn't a great barometer of. Of, of form or anything like that but but certainly I think Joel's got a point that you know as a striker in the England setup it is very much am I going to get a game ahead of Harry Kane but I suppose for some players it's more than that isn't it it's the pride of being able to represent your country I mean I know you're biased towards Leeds but I mean can you <laughs> expect Bamford to, to be involved again tonight Do you think it'll be more likely off the bench rather than a start yeah, definitely off the bench. I think it'll be one Leeds player in and one out. And I think Calvin Phillips will be back in the starting lineup again. As I say, very much akin to the um, you know Euros semis and finals and, and so on. Uh, the side tonight is going to be treated with you know the utmost respect. And with all due respect to Patrick Bamford, he is second in the pecking order, at least to um, to Harry Kane. So Kane, I'm pretty sure will start. Maybe we'll see Patrick Bamford for 20 minutes. Um, I'd like to remind. All the fans of Manchester United, Arsenal, you remember when they were a thing, um, <laughs> Tottenham and, and all that, that, you know, when when um, Calvin Phillips first started for England, um, what, six months, eight, nine months ago, mm. uh, you know, it, was, it there was all sorts of teeth sucking going on of, why, why, why is he in the team? He's not good enough. Yeah. I can't work out where he goes. What yeah. does he do? And now he's the first name on the team sheet. Well, he won the, and, the award, didn't he, for the England Player of the Year for 2020, yeah, yeah. 21. But look, you go back and look at some of the comments from his first match or even first two or three matches, and they couldn't figure out what, what Gareth Southgate was doing. These players do do something different to what you've already got. And Patrick Bamford himself has says he's not Harry Kane. He's not a replacement for Harry Kane. He does something different. The thing that annoyed me in the Andorra match was how selfish a lot of the other players were. You know, it was just hit and hope from their forward lines. Um, you know, they get the ball and they're all having a dip. They weren't passing to him. Um, he needs the ball played into him. And similarly, he is very important in the Leeds team in creating goals. And yeah, he gets a lot of thing about, well, yeah, he's not scoring as many goals. And last season he did. He got, what, 17 goals, which is pretty good. Um, but he sets so many up as well and holds up the play. And that is his job. He's just an absolute nightmare for defenders. Um, and so the system has to adapt a little bit, but in a positive way. You know, it's a different way of playing, but it changes the game. If you're playing a game and you've got Harry Kane and you're not getting anywhere, what are you going to do? Put another player on who's exactly the same just to have another go? You know, you want to change the system and change the the, the style of play. So that's what he um, brings. And you've got to give him time. You can't just stick him in there once and say, well, it doesn't work. I think that if Patrick Bamford had stayed on, I mean, it wasn't long after Harry Kane came on that, you know, England started getting somewhere. I think Patrick Bamford would have got a goal in that Andorra match. And 
you know, I could see it tonight. He just plays differently, and people need to give it time and just chill out and stop going, oh, it's not Harry Kane, oh, we've got better strikers, what about Mason Greenwood? Stop going on about it. You've got to give him time to settle in. Yeah, it, one, it one is game different. is not exactly a, a great um, no. cross-section of his ability, is it? One game against yeah. an Andorra side in which, as you say, there were a few experiments from Gareth Southgate and players taking shots, and Jesse Lingard was, you know, in the mood to try his luck, and we'll come on to Lingard a bit later, but talking of those experiments... Joel, Trent Alexander-Arnold played in midfield and there are a few other sort of uh, tried me- methods tried out by Southgate. I guess he can afford to do that against someone like Andorra where, let's face it, England are going to beat them anyway. They're ranked 151st in the world. But someone like Poland is probably less likely we're going to see Trent Alexander in midfield and we are going to probably see, as Ian says, Phillips come back in and probably revert to the side that we saw and became so familiar with during the Euros. Yeah, I think Trent, Trent Alexander-Arnold is an interesting one because everyone knows his talents and his technical ability and his passing distribution. I feel as though Southgate, he understands that, but he also understands that he's definitely not the best right-back in the England setup. I, I, for me, I definitely view Walker and Trippier as the more kind of better suited in the system that he plays. And I feel like he, he, he's desperately trying to find a solution to incorporate him into the side where he's not letting those talents go to waste in terms of, you know, trying him out in midfield. I don't know if it'll work considering, um, you know, obviously Calvin Phillips and um, Declan Rice, they're kind of pretty firm, uh, permanent fixtures in that midfield and rightly so, to be fair, because they really complement each other nicely, especially in that Euro uh, 2020 campaign. Mm. But I don't, yeah, as you said, I feel like uh, that kind of game is the perfect game to experiment considering England are at the top of the league, at the uh, top of the table, sorry, with 15 points. Um, and I'm sure Southgate will be playing a way more realistic mm. long-term team against Poland since Poland are only five points away. All could change if Poland managed to get a result in Warsaw, um, especially with only four games to go as well. So he will definitely revert back to how he wants the team to set up. But... Yeah. The Alexander-Arnold one, I think it's a nice experiment. Why not? Yeah, as you say, England five points clear at the top of the group. I think Poland uh, second or third in the group as things stand. But there's still a few games to go and San Marino and Andorra are both in the group. So you'd have to think England, Hungary and Poland. It is a kind of a three-way dance between those guys as to who is going to come out top of the group and qualify for the World Cup. Just a quick side note, Ian, I heard a car, by the way. We've got our first car of the podcast zooming past your, uh, <laughs> past your studio. <laughs> and we just had a, a barking dog as well. It's uh, ticked them off on the, uh, <laughs> the, on the bingo Ian Brannan bingo card. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll tell you what, it would be bingo for Poland if Lewandowski manages to fire. He is a hell of a striker. Looks like he could be back in the setup for the national side for this game against England. He's the obvious threat, isn't he? And I'm sure when you spoke to the... Polish journalist earlier today, Ian, Lewandowski would have been mentioned. And if Harry Kane starts for England, it'll be interested to see the Kane versus Lewandowski comparisons because when we're talking about the best number nines, the best strikers in the world, these two names are the obvious two that crop up. Yeah, Lewandowski is the only worldie really in the Polish team, isn't he? You know, he's, he, if you had a, a world team or whatever, uh, you know, he would he would probably be in contention. So Definitely. he's, you know, serious, mm-hmm. uh, serious threat. Um I asked the question to uh, Matt Say, uh, my my man in Poland who works for Eleven Sports, um, which um, bizarrely is a company that um, Andrea Radriazani is actually uh, the boss of. <laughs> uh, so it's a nice Leeds United link there. Uh, but a big TV channel in um, in in Poland, they do all the sports stuff. And um, I asked him about the other threats. You know, who should we be watching out for in the Polish team tonight? Um, it starts off with the goalkeeper Chesney. Uh, we know about him. He's played in the Premier League. A lot of the threats really play in the Premier League. Um, 
a really solid goalkeeper, he says, but we never know what he can do. Maybe a magnificent match, maybe not. Um, solid, <laughs> kind of solid reminiscent of his former club, Arsenal, then, in that case. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It, think, when, you, when you're thinking of Poland, think Arsenal. Could be brilliant, might be terrible, not sure. Um, Jan Bednarek from Southampton mm. is a solid defender that he wants to uh, point out. Also, again, sometimes brilliant, sometimes bad. Um, and um, Jakob Moda, who is uh, a young attacker who plays for Brighton, yeah. I think, in the Premier League, mm-hmm. um, to watch out for. And um, Kamil Joswiak, um, who is a player for Derby County and, and might be involved tonight, um, did really well versus Hungary and Albania in their recent matches. Um, so, yeah, he. Uh, those are the, the names to watch out for in the Polish team. So they've got threats. I think, as we mentioned, it's just that inconsistency with Poland. They can demolish any side in the world on their day. Will today be their day? We will find out later on this evening. That's the thing. But, yeah, Lewandowski, if he plays clearly, um, that's going to be one to uh, keep the defence pretty busy tonight. And you know what? Poland have actually got quite a few talented players that aren't in the international setup at the moment, or at least haven't been called up for this group of World Cup qualification games. Players like Lukasz Fabianski, who is the goalkeeper for West Ham United, Krzysztof Piantek, um, Arkady Szmilic, uh, Mateusz Klik, who plays for Leeds United, as mm. you know. And there's a 17-year-old lad who I think is a really exciting talent, particularly for Polish fans uh, coming through. His name's Kasper Kozłowski, who's, um, for me, one of the rising stars in Polish football. So I'm a bit surprised to see him not involved because I'm almost certain that he was involved in the European Championship squads. But anyway, that's tonight's fixture. England against Poland in Warsaw. A win for England would certainly put them in cruise control in their World Cup qualification group. Even if they don't pick up the three points, I think they've still got a decent chance of qualifying for the World Cup in Qatar in 2022. And for that World Cup, will Jesse Lingard be in the frame to be part of the England squad, which does make the trip to the Middle East? He's 28 now. He's at Manchester United but he's rejected a new contract with the club. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Niall McCorn here, Joel Tudor, Ian Brennan alongside me and time to talk about Jesse Lingard. Not for the first time this summer we've spoken about Lingard on Football Social Daily. He is, of course, a Manchester United player. He's in the final year of his contract. He was on loan at West Ham last season and put in some excellent performances as the Hammers surprised many and qualified for Europe very nearly qualifying for the Champions League. In the end, it was the Europa League they had to settle for and Lingard was a key part in that qualification for European competition this season. He's decided, though, over the summer that he wants to stay and fight for his place at Manchester United. And he's been offered a new deal by the club, which allegedly, according to sources, has been rejected. Jesse Lingard offered a new deal, rejects the new deal, begs the question to me, Joel, why did he stay at United this summer in the first place if he was just going to reject a new contract? Honestly, this is the most confusing situation and it's the most obvious answer as well, which I can't understand because obviously he went to West Ham, picked up some really, really good form, kind of rediscovered himself again, became a real nice focal, important point of a team who were really nearly on the cusp of Champions League qualification thanks to, you know, his nine goals and four assists in 14 games, which is really impressive, uh, especially going into a new side. But... I wonder, like, did he know that there was a two-month transfer window just gone? Because he now wants a short reassurances that he's going to get games. Yet 
he's stayed beyond the transfer window. It, it, it's a baffling situation because, mm. you know, through no fault of his own, he can't get into the team right now, despite being on good form. Obviously, he got his two goals for England, really good uh, West Ham form on the back of the last season. Through no fault of his own, he has two way better players ahead of him, and that's Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba. And I don't know if he feels as though his ability is like way better than what um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer believes it is, where he can actually force his way into that side. But it's just so unrealistic for me, and I'm so surprised that he wants to kind of gamble on his playing time and wants reassurances now that the window's done when there's a World Cup coming up in a year and a half, and I'm sure he'll very much want to be involved in that after he missed out on the Euro squad, mm. purely because he wasn't getting any game time. It's a very, very confusing situation, and I definitely think that, especially with uh, Mina Raiola representing him, I wouldn't be surprised if he's been kind of told in his ear to you know, maybe run down his contract, sign on a free for somewhere. It's a baffling situation. I don't know the ins and outs of what's going on with how he thinks about his playing time, but quite clearly he's not a chance going to get the same amount of game time at West Ham than he would at United this season. Yeah, I'm I'm totally in agreement with you. I think that he would get more games at West Ham. But that being said, Ian, United do have the Champions League and Carabao Cup to come in the next couple of weeks. The schedule does intensify, more competitions are introduced. Do you think that will give Jesse Lingard a clearer sign as to whether the manager, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, will use him regularly this season? Because so far... He's played just four minutes of football this term, which was a substitute appearance at the end of the Southampton game, which United drew 1-1. And, you know, if you think of Lingard's performances for West Ham, what you want is him taking the game to the opposition by the scruff of the neck. And he only had four minutes to do that. So actually, with that in mind, do you think we will learn a little bit more and will Lingard learn a little bit more in the next month or so as to whether he truly is going to get more game time this campaign? Well, I mean, number one, I mean, you can't go in to your manager especially in a team like Manchester United where you've got so many good players and 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 demand to be assured that you're going to be playing i mean because that just forces the hand of the of the manager doesn't it where do you go with that what's then to stop any other player marching in there and wanting guaranteed time with the best will in the world Jesse Lingard is no Cristiano Ronaldo you know Cristiano Ronaldo can can say well i if i'm going to sign for you i want guaranteed time because he is of a different plane with the best will in the world to Jesse Lingard. Uh, the thing with uh, Jesse Lingard, when you say about him, say, well, he has only played four minutes, but he came on for England against Andorra and scored and all this kind of stuff. He isn't going to get to play for England if he's not playing regularly at Manchester United. You know, coming on for four minutes at the end of the game isn't, isn't and shouldn't get you called up for the England side. When you look at the other English players who are playing regularly 90 minutes and have battled, for example, Patrick Bamford, I know he's in there now, but he was statistically one of the best strikers in the um, in the country for England and wasn't getting selected for the Euros. And he was playing week in, week out. And Jesse Lingard, yes, he was playing for West Ham and that got him in there, but he can't expect to keep those call-ups on the basis of historic performances, if you know what I mean. So he's going to have to have some regular game time. And then, you know, look, they've had a bit of a clear out of Man United. Dan James has left to get regular football, but he's moved to do that because he was told he wasn't going to be playing regularly. Mm. They've kind of given the same sort of suggestion to Jesse Lingard and he said, well, I'm going to stay here and fight for my place. 
it does seem to me that there's something a bit amiss if he's got um, a super agent that he has. I think there's probably your answer. Probably not so clear to us now, but there's certainly some games going on. I mean, he can sign a pre-contract agreement in January, so he's only four months away from that. Um, and, yeah, just run down his contract and, and move on somewhere. Do you think that United offering him the new deal, though, Ian, is just simply so... Well, they know United, don't they, that West Ham and others are probably interested. Do you think they're just offering Lingard yeah. a new deal in the hope that he signs it, his wages gets a bit of a boost, and also they can recoup some money for him? If someone comes in for him yeah. in January or the summer, they can sell him for a, a higher fee than what they would have sold him for in the window just gone. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, if you, if you know that a player is likely to move on, you want to maximise your value for it. So they're going to offer him a short-term contract, even if it's just for another year or another two years, that would... Um, you know, increase his value on the transfer market that he can't just walk out the door and they get nothing back on the investment they've put into him because he has been with Man United quite a long time. Uh, they've invested a lot of money in <clears throat> in him, in fixing him up from injury, for example, you know, uh, and all the training that he's had and, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, they, you, if you have something that technically you own, and unfortunately I don't want to talk about footballers as commodities, but that's kind of what they are, um, you, you want to sell it for the best price don't you um and and so giving a player a contract um assures you you're going to get a minimum amount of money for for that player alternatively you can just wind it down and you know rot away in the reserves for a few months and um and and just uh, walk out of there with nothing and that's what they're trying to avoid and seems to me that uh maybe there's some kind of involvement with a with an agent and uh you know that, that which favors them the deal that favors the player and the agent um so, yeah, maybe a bit of a Mexican standoff there. Um, but it's not going to do Lingard good in the short term, though, because he's going to end up um, dropping out of the England contention. He's going to end up dropping out of Man United contention. It's going to all end in sour grapes. Do you think, Joel, that maybe Lingard was waiting for offers from clubs other than West Ham during the summer? Do you think that there's a possibility mm. that that could have been the case? Because obviously, as good as his football was at West Ham, having played for Manchester United and been a first-team regular and an England regular over the however many years previous to his loan move to West Ham, perhaps he felt that he was, with no offence to the Hammers, of a better calibre than than West Ham United. Yeah, well, I mean, if you've grown up in a Manchester United side where he's been used to Champions League football, getting called up to the World Cups, Euros, I feel like he does have a bit of entitlement to feel as though I feel like I'm better at a at better level than West Ham. Obviously, no offence to West Ham. Um, it was obviously reported, I think, around a year and a half ago when he wasn't getting game time, when he actually switched agents to Mina Raiola to represent him. It was purely due to getting better prospects for himself in terms of potentially you know, going to Inter Milan or mm. one of these European super clubs where he probably sees himself as that kind of level. I'm not so sure that he could contribute at that level consistently, but it just it, it's, it's, it's very baffling to me how... I feel as though with this Manchester United situation at the moment, he wants to be part of this exciting new team that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's made where, you know, he's got Ronaldo, maybe he wants to do a celebration with him or something like, like that. Um, but, you know, he's got Ronaldo, he's got a really exciting team. Potentially, he feels as though West Ham is a bit of a step down and he wants to still see himself in that kind of stature of club at Manchester United. Um, potentially, who knows, it might be family reasons. There could be a number of number of reasons, but... Um, I definitely do feel as though it's got something to do with agent whispers in his ear and there is some kind of underhand deals where obviously players nowadays are getting 
way bigger, more of a payday if they just run the contract down and leave on a Bosman, which is what's happened. You know, yeah. like Donnarumma, big signing on bonus. Yeah, why now? It's in the it's in the benefits of everyone and. The only problem is he's not exactly got time on his side. I'm not saying he's an old player, but I mean, he's he's approaching 30 now and having a year and a half out of football pretty much sat on the sidelines is going to do him absolutely no good at all, mm. especially with Qatar coming up. And this might be his last opportunity to actually get into a major tournament side with England. Mm. So it was definitely in his best interest, I feel, to leave. I don't know if Manchester United priced him out potentially, Um where obviously, you know, maybe they wanted 25 million and West Ham were only willing to do 15 considering they can get him on a free next year. Yeah. So I definitely feel as though there's there's a error on both sides where they're both looking at the best interests and they're just currently not matching at all. It's an interesting debate to be had about Jesse Lingard. We don't know really the situation behind the scenes. All we can do is speculate, but what we do know is that he's rejected a new Manchester United contract. The Champions League is back for Manchester United next week and a host of other English clubs. They take on BSC Young Boys over in Bern. But we don't know just yet whether Manchester United fans will be able to travel. Even though UEFA have lifted the ban on travelling away supporters in European competition. We'll discuss more about that next here on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily from Sports Social, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you don't know about it already, the Podcast Network has loads of great shows on there from Speedway to Snooker uh, and loads of other football stuff as well. Even some wrestling podcasts on there if that's your cup of tea. Uh, go and check it out, sport-social.co.uk. Uh, click the podcast tab and you can find loads of great content there. All of the podcasts will be on your usual podcast platform or provider, so go and check that out. Time to talk about UEFA lifting the ban on travelling away fans in European competition. This is one of those pieces of news which, again, is coronavirus related. And unfortunately, it seems to be the case at the moment that a lot of the things we talk about are related to COVID-19. Because despite the fact football is trying to carry on with COVID-19 still around, it's always going to kind of rear its ugly head and throw a spanner in the works here and there. We saw it in the World Cup qualifier between Brazil and Argentina. Health officials running onto the pitch, but a bit more positive news from a UEFA standpoint, and that's that they've lifted the ban on travelling away fans in the Champions League, the Europa League and the Europa Conference League. All three competitions kick off next week uh, with the first round of group games. Great news for fans of English sides, Ian. They are going to be able to travel to Europe and watch their teams play. The bad news is... There's lots of hoops to jump through with this and they'll still need to adhere to the relevant rules and regulations for the country that they're travelling to. So it all seems a little bit like, oh, great, but also it's not quite exactly how it was. Yeah, um, well, it's just travel generally, isn't it? Um, Travel generally is is a lot more complicated and I've got some friends who um, have have been away to various countries. I know some people who have been to America, some people who have been to uh, Italy, Croatia, France... Um, Portugal, I think. And they all say the same thing, that it, it takes a lot of form filling in. There's a lot of admin involved, which is going to put a lot of people off. And and some of that admin is down to COVID. Some of that admin is down to Brexit. Um, so travel is more complicated than it was, but there's a number of factors to that. Um, I think having to pay for testing, which you would probably have to do, will put a lot of people off. Puts a lot of people off when you don't have to pay for it. 
uh, let alone uh, having to you know fork out 200 quid or more to get um, tests depending on what country you're going through. I mean, it's good that it's possible for those who are really that keen and, and want to do it. You know, it is an option at least now, whereas before it wasn't something you could even consider. It wasn't available. So, yeah, if you want to go, a lot of hoops to jump through. It's possible. It'll put a lot of people off. Um, but if you're that keen, and even though you want to fill the forms in and take the tests and maybe do quarantine, depending on where you're going, are you really going to go to your boss and say you want to watch Young Boys at Stadion Wankdorf in Bern? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, that's, that's the other thing you've got to consider as well. But uh, good luck to you if, if you're that guy. To be fair to Ian, he's not being tongue-in-cheek there. That is quite <laughs> literally the name of their stadium and the name of their club. Uh, Manchester United do face them on Tuesday evening. I mean, we can say that, you know, it's a start, Joel, isn't it? Because mm. there's rumours that a UK lockdown could be enforced in October. And that will lead again to questions of when will we resume regularity in football where people can go where they want, when they want to watch their clubs. Is it just something that fans are going to have to take on the chin? Some games they're going to be able to watch, others they're not. Is that just the pinch of salt you're going to have to take with the situation? Yeah, I think it's just it's a new normality that everyone's slowly adapting to. But especially for the Champions League, I think it's absolutely vital to have fans in those European stadiums because I remember watching the uh, campaign when the pandemic first broke out when it was the Bayern Munich versus Paris Saint-Germain final. And I think it was the most soulless final I think I've ever watched in my entire 24 years of watching. <laughs> like It was just... It was soulless. It didn't. It felt like a testimonial the way it was playing. Yeah. Especially in the European games where you have like you know, your Galatasaray's, Fenerbahce's, where their fans make life hell and difficult for opposing sides. And if now you were to go to Galatasaray and play, it would just feel like any other fixture. Mm. And it's. So, I feel like it's, it's so important, especially for the European, the European atmosphere, the European games, the speed of the games as well, which seem to really, really suffer um when there was no fans in the stadium so especially for uh, like you was saying there's going to be dedicated fans for every single team that are 100% will do and will go and follow their team no matter how many PCR checks and swabs up your nose you have to have um but it is a new norm that I think everyone's going to have to begin to get used to obviously I don't want to talk about like the political side or you be here all day but yeah it's something that well, I know, for example, at Old Trafford uh, at the weekend, they're going to be doing spot checks for COVID. Yeah. And I don't know, you know, how comfortable people are doing that or whether people will be turned away if they get tested positive. And that's a whole new different avenue to go down. So, yeah, it's a new norm. It's a new world at the moment. And obviously football continues, but it, the European stage is just a totally different world without fans. Yeah, I think from the 1st of October, you're right, Joel. I think the Premier League are going to make it, I'm not sure if it's mandatory, but certainly strongly recommended. Yeah, spot checks, I think. Yeah, that you have proof of a negative lateral flow or PCR test within 48 hours of attending the match or proof of double vaccination. I think that is the plan from the Premier League. Manchester United are going a little bit early on this, along with some other clubs. I think Aston Villa have been doing it as well. But certainly it's uh, it's something that's going to happen, I think, in, in the near future. In terms of the issues with UEFA allowing fans to travel to away games, um, that also reflects not just on English teams, Ian, but on fans coming from overseas here to the UK. And I remember when coronavirus first touched the shores and there was, I think, a Liverpool game in the Champions League against Olympiacos or someone like that. 
where a load of uh, fans came over from Athens and then there was an alleged spike in COVID cases that was attributed to the match. I mean, you're going to get issues like that, aren't you, with fans coming from other countries to the UK? It's not just English fans going abroad. It's the supporters from other clubs coming to our stadiums too. Yeah, I think, wasn't it? Was it Atletico or somebody yeah, like that? Sorry, my it. apologies it to all Olympiacos fans. <laughs> they wish. <laughs> it wasn't you. Um, yeah, it, it, well, when we had the Euros, um, obviously times were slightly different then, but um, there was a lot of Italians wanted to come for the final, as you would imagine. Mm. Um, and they had like a 12-hour pass, didn't they? They came in, were taken straight to the game, watched the game and then ferried straight back out again. And, and, and that was that done. I mean, the irony was that COVID was actually raging among the England fans uh, more than the uh, Italians. So they probably had a greater chance of taking it home with them rather than bringing us anything. Um, that's, that's the uh, the other side of it, I think, that, uh, you know, it is it is very prevalent in our country and it's not so prevalent in other countries. So there's that danger of more than uh, other countries bringing us a new variant is, is them taking our variant um, home to, to seed in, in their communities. So, it, you know, you are cross-pollinating. Um, it has to be managed very well. Um, I don't know how you do that. I've got to be honest, but it's certainly... Um, it, it is certainly a concern that they're going to have to factor in. And uh, obviously our schools are back now. And yeah. To be honest, Ian, it just feels on. like not a lot's changed, except the UEFA have lifted no. this ban. I mean, that's, I mean, it's kind of a shrug your shoulders and go, huh, so what kind of thing? Because well, they still have but to that's... abide by regulations and be negative and yeah. all of these things. Exactly. And, and, but this is what's happening with COVID across the board is that now the, the responsibility is being left to us. We, we've been told that we are educated and, you know, expert epidemiologists now, and, and we know what the risks are, and it's, it's, it's down to us to make our decisions. So no governing body, whether that's a national government or, or a football association or a football club, wants to get involved in, in, in that, of telling you whether uh, there's a danger or not. They want you to make the decision now. But that's that's that is the new normal. The, the new normal is that we all know the risks, so get on with it um, if you feel fit or, or if not. Um, mm. But um, that's just where we are now. So yeah, no, they don't want to get involved. They don't. They're not bothered. They don't. They don't want to advise you whether it's safe or not. Well, if the new normal is thirty degrees every weekday in September, I'd be very very happy with that. Thank you very much for your contributions today, Ian. Studio door open and all, barking dogs, moving cars. Yeah. Did, you, did a seagull come and nick uh, no. your breakfast pasty or anything like that? No. <laughs> no seagull, but we had a late charge from a bee uh, there when <laughs> it, that was loose in the studio. There, it, it did leave, but I thought we'd have like one of those episodes, like on Breaking Bad. Where, uh, where there's just a, a fly or something going around for the entire duration and you, know, you can't move to, to get rid of it. But we, we avoided that. We made it through. But uh, thanks for having us on. It's been good fun. No worries, Ian. I'm sure we'll have you back on the podcast next week as ever. And thank you very much, Joel. Jumper's still on. You're looking nice and cool Jumper's and calm. still on. Maybe a few hours to go and I might put my uh, fleece and jacket on so you never know. <laughs> that would be truly Mancunian <laughs> to wear a parka in 30 degree heat. You just know it. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. Thanks very much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe subscribe and that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again we do a show every single day of the premier league season we are the only podcast to do that seven days a week including the weekends even during the international breaks if you like what you're hearing this is the first time you've listened to the show why not hit that subscribe button and that way you won't miss one but that's it for today's football social daily i'll catch you again next time football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. 
So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.